Hello and welcome to another episode of the Al-Qasimi Foundation podcast, a monthly podcast about research, education and arts in the UAE. My name is Luis Carlos Soto and on this episode I am joined by Dr. Jose Marquez to talk about adolescent well-being in the United Arab Emirates. Welcome, Jose. Thank you. So in your paper, Happy Schools and Communities Supporting Adolescents' Well-Being in the United Arab Emirates, and your blog, you talk about all of the different factors that influence or affect the well-being of young people in the country. So to start, adolescent well-being refers to life satisfaction, positive and negative effect, uh, meaning and purpose of life. But I wanted to ask you, what else could, should we consider good well-being at this age? Yes. Um, well, the focus is on 15-year-old adolescents. Um, and in terms of the definition, traditionally we define well-being in two different ways. We use two different approaches. The first one is hedonic or subjective well-being. And the second one is eudaimonic or psychological well-being. This hedonic and uh, eudaimonic words come from the ancient Greece. And this was developed by Plato, Aristotle, and all these guys who began to discuss issues about happiness and well-being uh, more than uh, years ago. And so by hedonic uh, or subjective well-being, we uh, understand two different things. Satisfaction with life and with different aspects of life. So for example, for adolescents, satisfaction with your relationships with your parents or satisfaction with what you learn at the school or with how you use your time. And then the other part of hedonic or subjective well-being is about affects, uh, moods, and feelings. So uh, feeling, and this involves both experiencing positive affects and negative affects. So experiencing or feeling happy, enthusiastic, positive, optimistic, these sort of things, and also feeling sad, angry, uh, stressed, these sort of things. And but this is basically the two main ways in which we define uh, well-being. So you can think put it in, in more simple terms. You can think of uh, hedonic and subjective well-being in terms of how you feel. Mm-hmm. And hedonic is more about uh, thriving in life. Things and resources that will make you thrive in life. This is how uh, some people would uh, refer to this in more simple terms. Mm-hmm. An important thing to consider here is that... Um, these conceptualizations of well-being are mainly Western conceptualizations of well-being, okay? And, okay. and there are some linguistic and cultural issues going on that uh, might suggest that they are not as... Um, or that people in other parts of the world and from different cultures might conceptualize uh, well-being in different ways or might give um, these different aspects of well-being uh, uh, different levels of importance, or they may report the well-being in different ways. So, for example, we know that when asking these questions uh, to people uh, in Eastern Asian countries, for example, so countries like China, Japan, South Korea, etc., they tend to report more moderate levels of well-being, but basically because uh, that's how they reflect on their well-being. So for example, if you think about the life satisfaction, how satisfied are you with your life in a scale from zero to 10? So people from the Western world 
might uh, tend to say, if you feel fine and well and you're happy and you're satisfied, they might report six, seven, eight. Someone feeling that their fine is going well on these other countries in Eastern Asian countries, they might say, yes, my, my life is going well, like five or six. So for, for a Western person, five or six would be like something not that well. Mm -hmm. But person in, the, in, in some of these countries is, yes, like, I'm fine. Uh, five, six is fine. So there are some uh, cultural issues going on. Um, and also uh, the way in which people from Western countries or the notion of well-being, the, the things that they associate with well-being and happiness are things like feeling enthusiastic, you know, feeling very positive. So feeling happy. Um, and in these other countries, in Eastern Asian countries, maybe it's things like, yes, I feel calm. I feel solemn. I feel right. Uh, everything is fine, you know. So um, there are these differences that we know. And there are also some differences in terms of the meanings of the words that we use to define well-being. The word happiness, when you translate this right. to a different country, it doesn't necessarily have the same uh, implications in terms of the language and what people understand what happiness is. So we know there are some uh, differences, and we don't know um, that much uh, in terms of how well-being is understood in, for example, in uh, Middle East countries or in the GCC countries or in the Arab world in countries in the region, in countries like the United Arab Emirates. So there is some research going on in terms of how we define and understand well-being in this uh, part of the world, but there is still a lot of uh, a lot that needs to be done to, to better understand how people from some specific uh, world regions and countries and cultures understand questions about well-being and report uh, on the well-being and understand what well-being what, what well-being means to you and what drives your well. So how has it been so far? I mean, your research in the UAE, speaking about these cultural differences, how have you found it so far? Well, I mean, what I did was analyze data from PISA 2018. So PISA is programmed by the OECD. People who know PISA will know PISA basically because of the academic aspect of PISA. So it's this uh, test that 15-year-old adolescents take in over 80 countries all around the world, and it's intended to test their academic competence, mainly in reading, writing, and science. But then together with the academic aspect in recent waves, mm -hmm. it has started bringing some other aspects of the students' lives that are important. So for example, since 2015, students in, in most of the participant, participating countries are asked about their satisfaction with life and about some of these uh, other aspects of well-being, positive and negative affects, meaning and purpose in life, and this sort of thing. Um, so I studied uh, well-being in the United Arab Emirates using these Western definitions and Western measures that have been validated in many countries, also in the United Arab Emirates, and that are very good instruments to measure well-being. Um, but uh, yes, these are the definitions that uh, so those are the ones that I use. Two different things. First, how well-being in the United Arab Emirates varies across different groups of adolescents or students, so differences between boys and girls, between national students and expatriate students, and between those from better of families and those from families with fewer socioeconomic resources, uh, mm -hmm. differences across the seven different Emirates, and differences across types of schools uh, in the country. So that's the first part. And the second part was about, okay, these are the differences. 
what are the factors that drive the well-being of adolescents in the country. And the main purpose for uh, studying this question is basically because we don't have, there's no match out there, sorry, in terms of um, adolescents' well-being in the United Arab Emirates. Um, we know that there's been some well-being agendas being implemented in the country for some years now. There's been some data that has been collected, but these data are not available out there. But we have PISA. PISA is available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so there seems to be some interest in the country uh, in promoting well-being and happiness, um, and more generally, but also uh, in schools and among adolescents and students. But when you go to the research evidence that we have, uh, there's no match out there. And we need mm -hmm. that whatever is done in the country in terms of trying to promote well-being and adolescents, uh, well-being and happiness, this needs to be uh, informed by research evidence. So this is what my research did. This is the first research that focuses exclusively on the United Arab Emirates, on students, 15-year-old students' uh, well-being. And it provides uh, the first overview of the uh, differences across different groups and the drivers of well-being in the country. Nice. Could you maybe tell us more about this overview of the adolescent well-being in the UAE? Like, what were your what were your main findings? Yes. Um, so, in relation to the first part of the study that focuses on differences across different groups of students, uh, so some of the findings, um, for example, in terms of gender differences, um, girls reported lower well-being than boys, and that's common everywhere. Uh, in adolescence in every country, girls tend to report mm. well-being. They also reported uh, more symptoms of mental health uh, difficulties. And yeah, I'd like to make a stop here and kind of go back to the previous question that you made, made me about uh, the definition of well-being. So I, uh -huh. I explained to you the definition of well-being. Is well-being the same as mental health? Uh, that's an important question. And the answer is not they are not the same thing they are we know that they are not um the opposite sides of the same spectrum so higher well-being is, means lower mental health and lower well-being means higher uh, more mental health difficulties so they are not the same mm -hmm. but uh, they are strongly related and and they can predict each other uh, in adolescence and in other stages of life so it's important to study both of them separately uh, and but keep in mind this distinction that they are not necessarily the same things. They have different factors that predict levels of well-being and mental health and changes of well-being and mental health. For my research, I studied well-being, these different hedonic and eudaimonic aspects of well-being, as mm -hmm. well as symptoms of uh, internalizing difficulties. Uh, right. And mental health symptoms, symptoms of internalizing difficulties are things like having difficulties to sleep at night, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, uh, having headache. So these are symptoms that are usually uh, uh, used in scales to measure internalizing symptoms of mental health difficulties. So now going back to, to your questions about the findings in terms of uh, group differences in the country. So girls in the countries reported lower well-beings, and they also reported poorer mental health compared to boys. And we know that girls in the country also uh, do better academically. Okay, uh, and this finding 
are aligned with what we tend to find in every country. Then I also explored differences in terms of socioeconomic status, or it, and this was operationalized in terms of uh, family wealth, family access to sources. Mm -hmm. and, and I found that um, better of students enjoyed higher well-being, but were mental health. That's uh, something interesting, and this also gives you an indication of, of, of uh, these differences between well-being and mental health. And, and, and they also reported better academic outcomes. This is uh, more or less in line with what we find, again, in, in some other countries. And then uh, another finding was that uh, both well-being and mental health are better in the Northern Emirates, or the Northern uh, less populated Emirates of Ujaira, Raja Haima, Ahman, enjoy the, the best well-being and mental health. And then, Dubai, Sarjah, Nabu Dhabi uh, present the worst uh, well-being and mental health. And something interesting when exploring these differences is that I found that when comparing comparing these different groups, some of those groups who present the worst well-being outcomes also present the best academic outcomes. So the, the the question that first question that came up with thinking that out was okay maybe there is here a trade off between well being and academic outcomes you cannot have both you cannot um, achieve uh, a high well being and do better academically it's like you have to um, suffer to do better uh, and well the the, the the thing is that that's not true so I conducted further analysis. And I found that when comparing students with the exact same socio-demographic characteristics, so when comparing girls uh, with girls attending the same type of schools and with schools with those attending schools, uh, same level of socioeconomic status, same emirate and everything, when controlling for all these other factors, not only there is not a trade-off between academic and well-being outcomes, but there seems to be actually a positive association with some of these well-being outcomes. So the higher your well-being, the better you will do academically. And that's in line with what we are seeing in studies in many other parts of the world. If you want to achieve better academic outcomes, you should invest in promoting students' well-being. Yeah, of course. Uh, let's talk about this difference you mentioned for a bit. Why do you think girls usually report worse well-being what, what does that happen to be honest the probably the factors that explain these differences some of them might be common uh, across countries and some of them might be mm -hmm. country specific um and i guess you would need to do some further analysis but something that we know that is becoming increasingly important are all these feelings about uh, school anxiety and fear of failure and uh, school environment that this more about competition than about cooperation. Right. So those are things that particularly affect the girls more mm -hmm. than boys. So school environment might play an important role. But then, of course, there might be some other issues outside of school. Okay? And the fact that um, this is observed in more in, in many other countries might yes, suggest that uh, uh, there are some, some other things. So, for example, there are issues around uh, body image, uh, 
eh, social media, eh, body image and social media are particularly problematic for some, some girls. Uh, uh, so yes, there is, there is probably a range of factors uh, that explain uh, uh, these differences. Yeah, and another difference you mentioned is that students that come from families that are better off, you mentioned that they have higher well-being but lower or like worse mental health. Can you tell us more about this? Uh, what are the reasons behind this? I guess some of the reasons behind this might be related to the fact that uh, those socioeconomically better off in the country might be national students and in a way that matches uh, the profile of national students versus the students that we see uh, with national students reporting higher well-being and poor mental health. So that may be a reason driving these differences in terms of, uh, of uh, well-being. Um, but uh, something important here in relation to this particular uh, gap uh, between or um, differences that we see uh, across uh, the socioeconomic status spectrum, but also to some of the or most of the other gaps that I explored, is that these differences tend to reduce and in some cases even disappear when we control for the type of school. Okay. So that's gives you the first indication that the schools play a very important role in, in, in driving adolescents' well-being in the country. And the same goes, for example, uh, in terms of differences across Emirates. An important part of the differences that we see between uh, the Northern Emirates and the Southern Emirates is that uh, a larger proportion of uh, students in the Southern Emirates attend some specific type of school. So that gives you the first indication that the schools play a um, particularly important role in shaping adolescents' well-being in the United Arab Emirates. But then some further analysis that they conducted also indicated that the school effects are much uh, larger in the United Arab Emirates than in other countries. So school effects tend to be small, and when uh, in most countries, a small percentage of the variation seems to be explained by attending one school or another. But in the United Arab Emirates, I found that this is twice or three times uh, the size of what we see in most countries. So schools in the country play um, a very important role in, in shaping adolescents' well-being. Yeah, why, why do you think that here specifically schools have such a greater impact in in young people or adolescents as opposed to other countries like what are the main is it because of the type of schools or the emphasis that it's put here on education maybe or more pressure from parents and schools in general that, that's that's a good question i guess uh, i'm not fully sure but uh, i guess there are different many different types of school following different types of curriculum a large proportion of students attending private schools versus uh, um, public schools. And within the private school sector, there are very different types of schools. So you have British, you have Indian curriculum, you have American, you have IB or other curriculums. So there is huge diversity, I think. So mm -hmm. The diversity in terms of the, the school provision is much greater in the United Arab Emirates than in other countries where maybe 80% is public schools following the Ministry of Education schools and then some private schools. But the difference is not that large. 
So there are differences in the types of schools and also in the population of students that uh, attend these different types of schools. Um, uh, so that uh, that might be one of the reasons probably. And it seems that some types of schools seem to be doing better than others in terms of uh, supporting well-being. And also, I guess, it might be a matter of resources as well. You might have, for example, we mentioned that British schools are not doing particularly well in terms of well-being. But I would expect to find big differences even within the British schools uh, because some of them will have more resources um, to devote to well-being and even perhaps more interest. And in some others, you might not have uh, that amount of resources in terms of time resources for the well-being leader in the school and for the teachers to prioritize well-being and so on. So time resources and, and other types of resources like access to, to knowledge, and resources on how to, to promote and support well, uh, students' well-being. Yeah. And in, in all this, because I feel that a lot of the things we're talking about right now, like uh, the resources and the type of school that the adolescents are attending to, that kind of depends a lot on the parents also, right? So like, to what extent or how much of an impact do parents have on adolescents' well-being? What we know from research is that the most important predictor of adolescents' well-being is their relationships with their parents. And this is especially relevant in terms of uh, school, so feeling supported by your parents uh, in relation to school, so in what you do at school, in what happens to you at school, in your school life. And this is also very important because some parents are not aware of the importance of adolescents' well-being uh, compared to academic outcomes, okay? And if they were, they might put more pressures on the schools to prioritize this, but they might also, it might also change the, the way in which they view uh, what is important to their uh, children at this age. Adolescence well-being is, is hugely important. We know that most mental health, uh, or most cases of uh, mental health problems um, in your life have their origin in adolescence. This is where most mental health problems originate, around the age of 14 or so. And we also know that um, uh, well-being predicts health, social, academic, and economic outcomes later in life. So if you as a parent, you don't know this, you may say, okay, well, yes, maybe life as an adolescence, as an adolescent, is it has to be difficult. They just have to suffer a little bit to get their academic outcomes, their grades and everything. And then this will pay off later in life. And that's that's a mistake. You need to prioritize well-being in adolescence as much as academic outcomes, if not more, mainly because it will predict, it's associated with better outcomes later in life. You, the most important thing for the children at this age is their health, their mental health, their well-being. Uh, because without that, Yes, you may get some good grades and then go on to the adult life, but then you might be struggling with a lot of this. Is there anything that we could approach as a global phenomenon maybe happening? Because I remember you also mentioned at some point that adolescent well-being has worsened in many countries over the last two decades. Um, can you tell us more about like, why, why is this happening in several other places? Yes, no, it's 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 been worsening for 
it depends on what you focus. You focus on life satisfaction or or mental health or, but uh, and I think it's most research focuses on on Western countries, and we know from these studies that for the last twenty years, well-being and mental health have been deteriorating in adolescents and and in young people as well. And uh, for example, I, I conducted this study using data from PISA 2015 and 2018. And I wanted to examine well, changes in well-being in these three years preceding the pandemic. And I found that in 40, out of 46 countries, uh, life satisfaction had declined in 40. So in almost all the countries that participated in PISA, life satisfaction had declined. And it was uh, the decline had been uh, more substantial uh, among girls, among native students, uh, among those who are better off or those from better from socioeconomically better uh, families. Some interesting things. And then I conducted a second study focusing on those nations, nations where life satisfaction had declined the most. And it involved very different countries like UK, Japan, France, Ireland, the United States. And I wanted to see, okay, what are the factors that are um, more important when it comes to explaining this decline? And it is true that there was some variation across countries, some issues that you could find in Japan that uh, were different from those uh, found in the United States or in the, in the UK. But in general, the main thing was that most of the factors explaining this, this decline in life satisfaction, page 15, were school-related factors, and these are things like uh, school anxiety, uh, school anxiety, sorry, uh, feeling sense of belonging to school, uh, uh, feeling supported by your parents in relation to school, uh, and this sort of thing. The, a very promising way forward is just to have conversations with young people about uh, what are the issues that affect your well-being. So not only collecting data in service and analyzing data, but also going back to young people and ask them, okay, I found this. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about it. And yes, and for example, I had the opportunity uh, when visiting the United Emirates in, in March, I had the opportunity to have some conversations with young people in the country. And yes, they raised similar issues around uh, some private schools, especially British schools, and they mentioned issues about having to experience and they were comparing themselves with their uh, friends or their peers or their peers with themselves. And, and they had the feeling that in British schools, uh, academic pressure is much higher. There is a much stronger focus on, on the academic aspect compared to the well-being, but also this feeling about competition. So that's one of the things that uh, I also found it was one of the drivers. Um, uh, explaining variations in well-being in the country, I found that those who experience a school environment that is more characterized by a cooperative environment rather than a comparative competitive environment uh, report higher well-being. But if you don't look at the data, you simply collect data, don't analyze the data rigorously, and you simply, if your approach to well-being is simply to Yes, not, not, not identifying at-risk groups and not identifying specific issues and simply delivering positive education interventions to everyone uh, 
teaching you to be resilient uh, and so on, and ignore this other part, which is also very important, you will not be able to identify this specific issue. So that's why providing this first overview of uh, differences in well-being in adolescents in the Mediterranean families and drivers of well-being is, is very important. And now that we have this, we will be able to monitor changes over time in the United families. Uh, so for example, this are 2022, this is taking place this year, the data is coming out next year. So we will be able to monitor uh, changes. But now that you mentioned that, there is already data on changes in life satisfaction between 2015 and 2018 in the United Arab and yes, the largest declines in life satisfaction happened again in British schools, uh, and then also again uh, among girls and, and and in private schools. So yes, the situation in some types of schools is worse compared to others, and also it seems to be worsening. This data before the pandemic, so a lot of things might have changed, or and we will see, we will know that uh, next year. But it gives you an idea or, or about where to look at if you want to try to identify uh, what can be done mm -hmm. to support the students' well-being. Yeah, I think it will be super interesting to see the the PISA in two thousand and twenty-two, especially after the pandemic. Uh, ha have you done anything related to that? Like any any preview maybe of the changes that might come in the report i will or this definitely year. be interested in, in looking at that data but um <laughs> i mean we already know some things about how the pandemic have impacted impacted uh, adolescents well-being the thing is probably that the lives of adolescents have changed hugely from that previous generation who didn't have this interaction in their uh, academic life and they didn't have to stop going to school for the most important years of their lives and um, and that might have affected their lives in so many different ways in how they use their time in how they interact with their peers in how they interact with teachers in how they approach some issues so it's it's going to be uh, interesting and this will have probably will probably be different um, in some countries compared to others so uh, we don't know yet but it will be interesting to see how 15 year old adolescents who took the PISA test in 2018 are different from those 15 year old adolescents who took the PISA test in 2022 and spent their a year and a half when they were 12 13 14 year old uh, basically or not going to school Actually, so besides listening to them and doing the mindfulness sessions and kind of like being, being more aware of the competition and everything that might happen at schools, do you have any advice for the adolescents' parents, maybe? Yes. Um, I mean, my advice should be to uh, try to familiarize themselves with uh, the importance of well-being in adolescents. So, for example, this report in the Inuit is a very good starting point. And through that, you can get access to some other resources and everything. The important thing to keep in mind is that in adolescence, well-being and mental health is probably the most important aspect of uh, your children's lives. And there is no trade-off 
between well-being and academic outcomes. So you might be concerned about their academic outcomes, and that's obviously well justified. But uh, your children can do well at the school, and at the same time, they don't need to suffer, you know, at the schools. And actually, trying to avoid uh, the suffering and, and and actually promoting well-being and positive mental health might be well, it's more important in the longer term, actually, that academic outcomes at the moment. But the important thing is that there is not a trade-off. You should be interested in in both and you should let your schools know that you are not only interested in academic outcomes but you want to see your school do something about well about well-being and something that is uh, backed up by evidence and by the data sounds good thank you for sharing that well i'm afraid that's all the time we got for this episode jose but thank you very much for joining us today thank you very much if you would like to know more about adolescent well-being, you can access Jose's paper on and blog on our website, www.alcasimifoundation.com. And if you would like to get in touch about what you heard in the podcast today, you can email me at luis.r at alcasimifoundation.rac.ae. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next month. Goodbye. <music>